it occurred to me a couple of days ago that prayer is a lot like flossing your teeth. It really is. You know you're supposed to do it every day, and it doesn't take much more than a couple of minutes. You know it's healthy and helpful for you, and yet most of us don't do it as often as we should. Isn't that true? I mean, prayer is a lot like flossing your teeth. Prayer is maybe, uh, maybe it's not like flossing your teeth. Maybe it's like putting winter tires on your car. You know you should do it when things are going well. But usually you end up waiting until a big storm rolls in and then you're like, oh gosh, I better jump in and make this happen. Prayer is one of those important things that often gets pushed to the side. Prayer is like oxygen when it comes to following Jesus. It is critically important that we make time for it every single day. And yet, if we're honest, and I'm talking about myself here too, very, very often prayer feels more like a chore than anything else. It feels like something we know we have to do, but it's really hard to make ourselves do it week in and week out. So this week, or rather this month, we are talking about prayer, because what I want to do is give you some tools and some inspiration to know that prayer does not have to feel like a chore to you. Prayer can actually be the best part of your week, the best part of your day, because prayer is really a simple and powerful way to connect your soul to God. That's all it is. Now, if you're here for the first time this week and you didn't catch the first two messages in this series, that's okay. But I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to those first two messages in the series, because we really break down what prayer is and what prayer isn't, particularly if you're not a religious person and you're like, Like, if I were going to pray, I don't even know where I would start. Or if you think to yourself, I'm not even sure there is a God, so why would I bother praying? We address those questions in the first two weeks. So you can go back and listen to those messages. Um, But today, I want to share with you guys what I think is one of the most surprising truths about prayer. I think this is so key and critical. I think this has the power to blow your prayer life wide open. I think it is so important that you understand this principle this morning. Are you ready for it? I'm not sure that you are. Because here it is. Here it is. Most of the time, our prayers feel boring and ineffective because most of the time, our prayers are boring and ineffective. All right, I'm sorry to step on your toes right away, you know? You're looking at your friend who invited you this morning, and you're like, why did you bring me here so this guy could insult me? If I'd have known that's what was going to happen, I wouldn't have shown up. Listen, I'm talking about myself as much as anybody else in the room this morning. The truth is, the reason that you find prayer so boring is because you're praying boring prayers. The reason that you're afraid your prayers are ineffective is because you're not praying prayers that are actually leveraging and motivating heaven on your behalf, all right? Now, the reason or the the way that I came to this realization was I read some words that Jesus said on the subject of prayer that are recorded in the book of Luke, chapter number 18. And these words, they just blew my mind. I mean, it totally changed the way that I view prayer, and I think it can do the same thing for you today as well. So Luke, chapter number 18, is where we're going to be this morning. We've got all the verses on the screen, so feel free to follow along there, or if you 
you want. We've got Bibles out at the guest center. They're totally free. We would love to put a copy of the scripture in your hand. So you could go get it now if you really wanted to, or on your way out, make sure you stop by the guest center and say, hey, can I have one of those free Bibles? It's the exact same one that I'm using this morning. So Luke chapter number 18, listen to what Jesus has to say on the subject of prayer. And then I want to let these words challenge and inspire you to go bigger and deeper in your prayer life than you ever thought you would. Luke chapter number 18, verse number one, Jesus says, or the scripture says this, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Now, the Bible doesn't always do this. It doesn't always tell us up front when Jesus gives a teaching, like, this is the point. This is what Jesus wants you to learn from his teaching. Thankfully, they make this one very, very clear. Jesus wants you to know that God would have you to always pray and never give up. That's what this story is designed to do, to inspire and challenge you to always pray and never give up. So here goes the story, verse 2. Jesus says, there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. So Jesus sets up, this is a make-believe story as far as we know, it's a parable, but he says there's a judge in the city and this judge is corrupt and he's evil. I mean, think about it, a judge is supposed to be impartial. A judge is supposed to look after people in need and decide cases fairly and to make sure that people are getting justice in whatever situation they're facing. And Jesus sets up this story by saying there's a judge in a city and this judge is corrupt. He's not interested in justice. He doesn't care about people, nor is he even worried about what God thinks about him. I don't know what the judge is looking for. Here in this story, we, we don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us. He might have been looking for a bribe, and he was waiting. We'll see in a moment. Maybe he was waiting for the widow in the story to give him a bribe. Or maybe he was trying to protect somebody powerful in the city, maybe one of his friends or something like that. We don't know. But we do know this judge is the villain of the story. He's a bad guy because he doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about any of the people that he is supposed to look after. It's been pointed out that this judge is actually the antithesis of the great commandment. Do you guys know what the great commandment is? There was this one time where people were talking to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, if you were to summarize the whole Bible in just a sentence or two, what does it mean to follow you? What does it mean to be a Christian? And Jesus said, this is it in summary, in a nutshell. You should love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's Christianity boiled down to its very essence. The Bible takes a lot of time to say those two things, but that's what every word in this book is ultimately trying to say. Love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this judge is specifically, the Bible specifically points out that he neither loves his neighbor as himself nor cares at all about God, okay? He's the bad guy in the story. Verse number three, Jesus says, a widow of that city came to the judge repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy, We don't know what her deal was. We don't know what sort of injustice she was suffering, but she is going to the judge and saying, judge, I need you to come through. I need you to help me. The problem is this lady, this widow, she's got three strikes against her as soon as the narrative starts. First off, she's a woman. 
And what I mean by that is in the first century, women had no authority or power. They had no right to go to court and to ask for a redress of grievances. Women were literally bought and sold. They were considered property. I mean, it was not a good time if you had two X chromosomes in the world, all right? And so from the start, we see this poor woman who's already disenfranchised by her culture. Then we find out that she's a widow. So um, even if a woman didn't have, you know, a lot of authority or power or opportunity in their world, she often would have at least a husband who would go to bat for her, right? And, and in this story, we hear that this lady was a widow. She didn't have a husband. Her husband had passed away. And in their society, if a lady had a husband who had passed away, she was supposed to be either welcomed in by the husband's family, or if there was no husband's family, or they refused to take her in and care for her, she was supposed to go back to her old family. Widows generally didn't remarry in their day. So we've got a woman who's a widow, and we find out because she's the one who's going after the judge, she doesn't even have any extended family to help look out for her. This woman is completely and totally on her own. She is marginalized, and she is desperate for somebody to help her. And so we read here in verse number three that she keeps pursuing the judge in order to get justice. And the idea behind this is not that she just keeps going to the courthouse and she's like, okay, judge, your honor, would you please, you know, rule in my favor here? No, 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 no. She is stalking this guy from what we can tell from the passage, all right? Imagine the judge is sitting down at a restaurant and he's eating his salad and she just barges right on up to the table. She's like, hello, judge, are you going to rule in my favor? today? Imagine he's at home. It's late in the evening. He's sitting on the couch watching hockey and the widow is knocking on his front door. Hey, come let me in. I need to talk to you. I need your help. You got a rule in my favor here. Poor guy is walking out of the washroom stall and boom, there she is in the men's room. She wants to talk to him about her case. She is going hard after this judge. Now, one of the things that gets lost on us in this story is that this was a huge breach of protocol in their world. A woman should not have been talking to a powerful man in public the way that she was. She should not have been as impudent, as aggressive, as forward and direct as she was with this judge. But here's the deal. She felt powerless, and that made her fearless. Have you ever been in one of those situations in your life? where you feel completely powerless, and so you're like, forget it, I'm throwing caution to the wind, I'm going all in on this, because what have I got to lose? That's precisely the situation that this poor widow was in in this story. So in verse number four and five, Jesus says, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God, nor do I care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. If you didn't already think that this judge was a bad guy, turns out he's kind of a sexist, all right? So he says, look, I'm going to go ahead and give her what, he, what she wants because she won't leave me alone. Now, this story, when Jesus told it, it is meant to be shocking, right? People in the first century, when they first heard this, they're like, wait, a woman was talking to a judge, how? No, seriously? And it's supposed to be humorous that this little tiny widow 
that she would win out in the end over this very authoritative and influential judge. It's this cool twist in this story that Jesus tells. The powerful judge gives in because the powerless woman won't give up. Do you see that? That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. That's, that's the whole essence of the story, the moral that he wants you to get here. The powerful judge gives in because the powerless woman won't give up. So Jesus goes on and he offers a little bit of explanation for this parable, okay? And he says here in verse number six, then the Lord Jesus said this to his disciples, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, God will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of God returns, how many will he find on earth who have this sort of faith? Jesus tells this shocking parable about a woman who annoys a judge to no end. Until, she, until he just gives in in order to, to you know, get her off his case. And thankfully, Jesus explains in these verses what this passage actually means. Because if he didn't give us this extra explanation, then God comes off kind of bad in this story, doesn't he? Right? If in a parable, there's always a character that is supposed to represent you, and there's always a character that is supposed to represent God, then we are represented by the widow, and God is represented by the the mean judge, the unjust judge. He's the one that is supposed to be God in this story. I mean, if that's the case, if Jesus doesn't give us this explanation, then God comes off as mean and uncaring, doesn't he? And it comes off like Jesus is saying, the way that you're going to get God to answer your requests is to bug the hell out of him until he answers it finally so you'll just go away. That's the way it seems if you don't read the explanation here at the bottom. But see, this is the key to understanding this passage. Do you see it? It's highlighted there on the screen. When Jesus says, so don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. That is the key to understanding what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is not comparing God to the unjust judge. Instead, he is contrasting God with the unjust judge. He's showing you what God is not like so that you will understand how God truly is. This contrast is so critical. If you read this and you don't understand the whole idea between compare and contrast, then you're going to get the wrong idea about God, especially when it comes to praying to him. This judge, he answered the woman's request out of annoyance, just so she would go away and leave him alone. But Jesus says, God answers our requests not out of annoyance so that we will go away. God answers our requests out of love so that we'll be drawn closer to him in relationship. God is not saying, or Jesus is not saying that God the Father is like the unjust judge. He's saying he's nothing like that. And that is good news for you. God is nothing like this evil judge. That's a good thing. 
But Jesus is making a second contrast in this parable, and this is the one that we overlook, but this is the one that's really important for some of you. God is not like the unjust judge in this parable, and that's a good thing. But most of us are not like the widow in this parable, and that's a bad thing. There are two contrasts that God makes in this story. One is between God and this evil judge, and the other is between this widow who would not give up and me and you. You see, the widow is the hero of the story. Do you recognize that? And by the way, can I just pause for a moment and say how crazy it is that in the first century, Jesus chose a woman to be the hero of the story? You've heard for years and years and years that the Bible is misogynistic and it keeps women in their place and it's been used in all these terrible ways. And and none of that is true. When you read the scripture, you find that women are created in the image of God and they are often the heroes of the story. And ladies, you're the heroes at Connect Church. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not pandering. I'm just telling you that's the way things really are. So Jesus makes this widow the hero. And she's an example that me and you are supposed to follow. But unfortunately, our prayer life really doesn't look like hers, does it? I mean, if I were to describe my prayer life, it wouldn't sound like this woman who was forward and aggressive and kept asking for what she wanted until she got it. If I'm honest... And I bet if you're honest, we would say that for the most part, our prayers are small, they're boring, they're sporadic, and they're generic. If we're honest, those are the words that really characterize our five minutes a day talking to our Father in heaven. Listen, I'm just going to put it bluntly, and I hope you'll forgive me for just being direct this morning, but I think some of us need to hear this. The reason that you don't get much out of prayer is because your prayers are too safe. You are praying prayers that are too small. Hear me on this. Your prayers are so small that they don't inspire you to pray every day. So why would they inspire God to show up in a miraculous way in your life? All right. Again, I told you, I'm talking to myself. This is like me doing my study in my office over the past couple weeks, and I'm like, dang, I'm a terrible pastor. I'm a bad Christian. I mean, like, geez, my prayers are awful. They're tiny when I look at the way that God holds up this woman as an example for how we should pray. Hey, did you catch there in verse number seven? We'll put it back on the screen. Jesus says, won't God give justice to his people who cry out to him day and night? Does that sound like an accurate description of your prayer life? Doesn't sound like an accurate description of my prayer life. I'm not crying out to God day and night. Usually I've got half-mumbled prayers every so often, you know? That's the extent of my prayer life, and I bet it's the extent of yours as well. And I think that's the problem. I think that's the reason that you and I don't get stoked about the fact that we can pray every day. The reason that it's not the thing that we look forward to most. The reason why we don't go into our prayer time with excitement and anticipation because we are praying sad, boring little prayers. The point of this passage is that God honors a prayer life that is full of audacity and tenacity. God honors a prayer life that is full of audacity 
and tenacity. That's what he wants. Those are the words that should describe our conversations with him. So I want to, just in the remaining moments we have, talk about those two words, audacity and tenacity, because I think these should be the things that we shoot for. This is the goal. I want to say audacious prayers. I want to be tenacious when I'm praying to God. So what does it mean? What is audacity in your prayer life? What does that look like? Well, first of all, audacity means to take bold risks. That's what the word itself means, all right? And so um, I don't know why we do this, but we tend to sandbag our prayers, don't we? Rather than asking for the big things, rather than asking for the things that we really want, rather than going 100% in our prayer life, we tend to pull back a bit. I don't know if it's because we're afraid to ask for something specific or we're afraid of asking God for something that's too big or if deep down we just don't believe God is gonna come through and so we sandbag. We pull back. We leave ourselves a little margin and wiggle room on some of this stuff so that it's like, but you know, God, you don't, you know, it's okay if you don't. And I understand you're busy and who am I? And I haven't been at church all the time lately. And so, you know, if you could, great. But if not, that's okay too. We sandbag our prayers. But listen, God wants our prayers to be as aggressive and direct as the woman in this parable. God welcomes audacious prayers from his people. And so I think we need to pray bigger prayers than what we are currently praying. Listen, I mean that for myself. I need to pray bigger prayers than what I am currently praying. And I mean it for you too. You need to pray bigger prayers than what you are currently saying. And I mean it for our church. We need to pray bigger prayers than what we're currently wasting our time with. Let me give you a weird example. Imagine you're walking on the beach and you find a lamp in the sand And you're like, oh, I've heard of this. So you pick up the lamp and you rub it and a genie pops out. I know it's unbiblical, just roll with me. (laughs) Genie pops out. And the genie says, you've got one wish. What do you want? And in that moment, you could ask for anything. You could ask for a billion dollars. And what if you asked the genie in that moment, I could have anything? Okay, give me $600. That would be a waste of a wish, wouldn't it? Some of you are praying waste of prayers. Like you have the opportunity to ask God for a billion dollars or to ask for complete healing or to ask for a miracle and you're settling for something small, something boring, something less than what God wants to give to each one of us. Listen, why are you praying, God, please help my husband and I to just get along? Why are you praying that tiny little prayer? Why are you not praying, God, give us the happiest marriage the world has ever known? Why are you not praying that? Because you say that's not realistic. Why not? Why is it unrealistic that you could have the happiest marriage the world has ever known? Somebody's going to have it. It could be you. You need to start asking for it. Pray bigger prayers. Stop praying, God, I I just asked that the cancer would stop spreading. Start praying that the cancer would disappear completely. Stop praying that your sisters would not make a scene at Christmas dinner. Please, God, just help them to keep it together for two hours. And start praying that they would experience total reconciliation, that there would be true and complete healing in your family. Start praying bigger prayers. 
You know what Ephesians chapter number three, verse 20 says? Ephesians 3.20 says this, God can do infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. And if that's true, and I believe it is, then small and boring prayers are an insult to a God with that kind of power. If we would pray bigger prayers, we would not only inspire ourselves, but Heck, we might even inspire God. He's like, well, they're serious. Like, they're asking for the moon here. One of our values here at Connect Church is inspiration. What that means is we want to inspire you and everybody else in our city to believe that God can do infinitely more than you think is possible in your situation. That God can come through in a bigger way than you could ever hope. That's what we want. And I mean, God will come through in a big way because with God, all things are possible. Do you understand that? Like if you really came to believe that with God, all things are possible, you would start praying bigger prayers than what you currently pray. And I mean that. You would be asking not just for reasonable things. You would stop asking just for easily explainable things. Not just good things in your life. No, you would be asking God for unreasonable, miraculous, ridiculously great things in your life and for our church because you've come to believe that with God, all things are truly possible. My prayer lately, um, as I've been praying for our church, my prayer lately has been that God would make us a church of global influence. Now, listen, I know how stupid that prayer is. We're a tiny two-year-old mobile church in Canada. I get it. I don't care. I have really come to believe that with God, all things are possible. And that we have not because we ask not. And sometimes we ask with the wrong motives, but sometimes we're just too afraid to ask even for good things from God. And so we need to pray bigger prayers. I think you also need to pray specific prayers. Not just big prayers, but you need to pray specific prayers. If you would pay attention to your prayer life, I've been trying to keep track more of my prayers and the things that I'm saying in my prayers. And you know what I realize? I pray a lot of very generic and empty stuff. And I bet you do too. God, please bless our family. Well, that's a good prayer, but what does it really mean? What are you really asking God when you ask him to bless your family? God, please be in the middle of this situation. What are you asking him for, really and truly, when you say be in the middle of this? God, grant a hedge of protection around my kids. What are you really asking him for? What is it specifically that you want? Do you know how many times Jesus was face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball with somebody, and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Not because he didn't know. He wanted to see if they knew. Do you even know what you want God to really do for you? You need to start praying specific prayers. Not just, God, help my husband and I get along, but like, God, I'm about to smack him upside the head and I need your help today. We need to figure this thing out. Get real in your prayers. Get honest. Get specific. Not just, God, be in the middle of my decision about what school I go to, but God, I've got options and I need clarity and I need confidence about which one I should choose and I'm trusting you to give it to me today. If you want to pray a specific prayer, maybe you pray, God, please protect my son from the influence of pornography. That's a real prayer. God, grant a hedge of protection around my kids. 
No, pray for real and pray big and pray specific because that's what the woman did. And Jesus holds her up as our example when it comes to prayer. I don't know if we think these generic prayers are more spiritual or if we're afraid to ask for what we really want. I don't know if we don't know what God, we want God to do for us. But listen, if you want a specific breakthrough, you better start praying specific prayers. Until you give specific prayers, don't expect a specific breakthrough. Look at what Hebrews chapter number 4 verse 16 says. The scripture says, so let us come boldly before the throne of our gracious God. Not just, oh, hey, God, um, if you could, it'd be great. And I know I haven't, but maybe, you know. Uh, uh. No, it says, let us come boldly. Let's hound him. Let's go after what we want like the woman in the parable because God is infinitely better than an unjust judge who will only answer your prayers to get you to go away. Let us come boldly before the throne of our gracious God. So there we will find mercy and grace to help us when we need it the most. We need audacity in our prayer life. And if you're one of my Baptist brothers and sisters and you're like, I don't know, man, that just seems a little too forward and a little too aggressive and, you know, we're, we should be humble and he's sovereign. I get all of that. And yet Jesus held this woman up as an example to follow in prayer. So wrestle that to the ground, my friends. You need to have audacity. You need to have tenacity. That word tenacity means refusing to give up. Refusing to give up. I think we've got to pray consistent prayers. Like the widow in the parable, God wants us to be more tenacious when we pray. We pray sporadically or we pray temporarily. We will ask God for something this month. And then next month, we've forgotten all about this request because we're on to something new that we want. And God is saying that we should stick with our prayers. Our prayers should be so big and so important that we couldn't forget them if we tried, that we couldn't move on to something new and different the next month. This woman is an example partially because she never gave up on her most important request. We give up on our prayers too quickly. We ask God a few times, God, would you grant me this? And if we ask a few times and he doesn't say yes immediately, our natural reaction is to assume, oh, the answer is no, so I need to quit asking. So we'll pray for something for two weeks and then we'll stop and we'll spiritualize it by saying, well, God just said no and I need to be okay with that. Do you realize that there are people in the Bible who waited 40 years to get their breakthrough? There are people in this auditorium that prayed to have a baby for over a decade and they would not give up and they kept praying, God, you're the one who's going to make this happen. There are marriages that seemed over and done and there were wives that continued to pray and would not let go and eventually there was reconciliation. We give up too quickly, my friends. God wants you to pray audacious, tenacious prayers. Prayers that keep going Prayers that you will not quit on because that's what God wants to see. When we do that, when we refuse to give up the fight, do you realize we're actually doing something that's, that's pointed out in this passage? Let me show you the coolest part of this whole story that Jesus tells. We'll put it here on the screen in Luke chapter number 18, verses four and five. The judge in this story, the judge says, I'm going to answer this woman's request because she is wearing me out with her constant 
comments, constant questions, constant requests. Now that, that phrase, wearing me out in the original language, this is so stinking cool. It is literally a boxing term. And it means to punch somebody repeatedly in the eye until it's swollen and black and blue. That is literally what that phrase in the original language means. Prayer is a battle. Prayer is a heavyweight fight. It is a 12-round bout. And most of us throw in the towel way too early. It's round two. You're like, well, I guess I'm done. You've still got 10 rounds to go. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep punching. In this prayer battle, you're not fighting God. Okay, I want to be clear about that. You're like, what's up, Jesus? (laughs) You're not fighting God. You know who you are fighting? Your own doubts. When you pray for a year, or four, or 12, or 40, you know what you're fighting? You're fighting the doubts. You're fighting the voices in your head that say you've been praying this prayer for two years and nothing has changed and nothing is ever gonna change, so let's quit. My friends, you need to punch that voice in the face. Don't listen to it. Fight against it. Because prayer, tenacious prayer, it's a battle. Now, it's not just that that voice in your own doubts that you're fighting, and this is going to be a little too much for some of you. I get it. Um, maybe someday your eyes will be open to the truth about what I'm about to say. But the scripture tells us that we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against invisible spiritual realities. And so when you pray, you are fighting against those invisible spiritual realities. And believe it or not, God has given you the capability to defeat them in prayer in your life, in the life of your kids, at your workplace, in our church, if you will always pray and never give up. Guys, I'm sorry I'm getting hyped today. But Jesus has got me hyped over the past few weeks in regards to this. You are only ever one prayer away from a miracle. You are only ever one prayer away from a miracle. You are only ever one prayer away from a miracle. So don't give up. Pray big prayers. Pray specific prayers. Pray consistent prayers that will go on for years if that's what it takes before you finally see your breakthrough. I'm going to close with two questions. First is this. What is the big audacious prayer in your life right now? What is the big audacious prayer? What is the thing that you want so badly that you would pray every day for the rest of your life in order to see it come to pass? And if you don't know, that's a problem. You need to figure that out. Wrestle it to the ground. What is the one thing that I would pray every day until it happened? Maybe we could put the question a little bit differently. If you could only pray one prayer for the rest of your life, what would that prayer be? If God said, I'm going to give you one prayer forever, and this is it, this is the one thing you can pray for, what would you choose? That's a clarifying question. And I think there should be something, at least one thing, 
that you are willing to pray boldly and audaciously. It needs to be bigger than you could possibly believe in right now. It needs to be an absolute miracle if it's ever gonna come to pass. What is this big audacious prayer that God would have you to start praying for every single day? Last question. What needs to be added back to your prayer list? Because some of you had your big audacious prayer. You gave up second round, third round, you decided, oh, God's going to say no. So I better just stop. And it's time that you resurrect that prayer and see what God does if you ask for it boldly and specifically and consistently. I just believe you guys that God wants to do something miraculous because he's a miracle working God. And he loves his children. And I think he, res- I don't even know if it's possible to impress God with the scope of our prayers, but if it is, I want us to do it.